0: Welcome everybody to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host Viz and I want to welcome all of our viewers. Thank you for tuning in. It's been a while but we get to have a solo episode tonight which is awesome. I miss talking to you guys. Thank you for tuning in. I want to say a big thank you to all of our moderators. A big hello. Uh, Good evening, good morning, good afternoon depending on where in the world you're located and what time of the day you're watching this. Want to welcome Jennifer, Colette, Zoe has just joined us. Uh, Philip is just joining us as well. We have Abdul, Alejandro joining us. Uh, I hope you guys have been enjoying the interviews that have been going on, and we've had a lot of them. And uh, starting tomorrow, guys, I'm not kidding. We're doing an episode tomorrow. And starting tomorrow, From uh, Saturday to next Friday, we are doing five more interviews uh, over the next six days. So it's going to be crazy. And let me just go through the list of names, starting with our guests tomorrow. Tomorrow, we are having Rob Mello and Rebecca Reinhardt. Rob Mello is known for um, uh, Happy Death Day. Him and Rebecca are doing a brand new movie called Tin Roof. They haven't started shooting yet, but they're doing it together. It's a throwback to the cabin camp slasher movies. So let's see how that goes. On Monday, we have Ross McCall, who has done a whole bunch of stuff, including including Band of Brothers, 24, Live Another Day, a lot of horror. And then on Tuesday, we have Ken kerzinger who played Jason in Freddy vs. Jason. That's going to be a big treat. And then uh, Wednesday, we have writer-director Damien Leone. Damien Leone wrote and directed the terrifyingly gruesome movie called Terrifier. One of the scariest clown movies you will ever see. Uh, if you want your share of blood, guts, and gore, and you have not yet watched Terrifier, that's where to go to, okay? And if you like creepy clowns, with, without a shadow of a doubt, hands down, Terrifier has the freakiest clown I have seen. It makes Pennywise, any of the other clowns you might have seen, look like child's play compared to the clown in Terrifier. And this guy who uh, plays the Terrifier uh, is an absolute nut job to put it mildly. Now, moving on. Uh, Friday, Thursday, we have no guest yet. But that might change. Friday... We have a real special treat. We are having the very young and talented star of the upcoming movie, The Djinn. The demonic genie movie that we've uh, shown trailers of uh, right here on Dead Talk Live. Uh, Ezra Dewey. Ezra has also been in a number of episodes of Criminal Minds. So I'm very familiar with Ezra. A very talented young man. I believe he's going to be starting high school in the fall. And he already has a leading role. And as a Father's Day treat, and this is a a huge Father's Day tweet, a week from this Sunday on June 20th, we're doing a show on Sunday, June 20th, Michael Satrazimus, is coming back to uh, talk about this uh, season of Fear. I know it has not uh, officially aired on AMC yet. It is available to AMC Plus subscribers. I did watch it. It is phenomenal. Uh, Michael Satrazimus, of course, is the executive producer and director of Fear the Walking Dead. Michael Satrazimus is an amazing person in The Walking Dead universe. He has been with the franchise since day one of The Walking Dead. Uh, Started out as a camera person, moved up to director of photography, and then moved up to being a director. His very first episode that he directed is the infamous Look at the Flowers episode on The Walking Dead when Carol has to shoot Lizzie. That was his directorial debut. And ever since then, uh, him, Greg Nicotero, when they were back in uh, uh, exclusively working on just The Walking Dead, they would both swap who would be shooting the premieres and the finales. And then you have, of course, Rosemary Rodriguez, who was also a big director on The Walking Dead. But it would basically be Satrazimus or Nicotero that'd be filming the big directing, the big premieres or finales in The Walking Dead. Michael has officially gone over to fear The Walking Dead as of uh, season four of Fear The Walking Dead when they really cleaned house. When Morgan came over, introduced us to all the characters that we know now on Fear of the Walking Dead. They brought in new showrunners and Ian and Andrew. Michael Satrazimus made the move from The Walking Dead onto Fear. But Michael Satrazimus is just so loved and popular in the Walking Dead universe that he still occasionally... Because Fear of the Walking Dead is shot in Texas, but he does go to Georgia every now and again and direct a special episode for The Walking Dead. You know, that's how much he's... Well, he's a phenomenal director, and they they want him on still on The Walking Dead. Why wouldn't you? Uh, but anyway, this finale of Fear of the Walking Dead that is going to drop officially on AMC for everybody this Sunday... If you guys live across the pond in the UK, Ireland, and whatnot, for you guys, it's going to premiere on Monday. Uh, It's a great finale. Uh, It's not anything you would have expected. Let's just put it that way. I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. Uh, It's really nicely, excellently put together. And it's a great way to wrap up a phenomenal season of fear the walking dead and now having watched all 16 episodes of this season of fear the walking dead i can say with uh, a fair amount of certainty at least for myself that this past season will it will officially be the past season on sunday of fear the walking dead is probably one of the best seasons in the walking dead universe Uh, and that encompasses all three shows so far fear the walking dead the walking dead and of course walking dead world beyond it's better than seasons three four five of the walking dead remember season five is when the walking dead Reached its peak, averaging around 15 million viewers per week. Uh, I can say for me personally, this season, season six, that is going to officially end on Sunday, of uh, Fear of the Walking Dead, is, I would put it as number one for the entire franchise. No question about it. I mean, there has not been a single episode this season on Fear which you could call a very, very slow burn, uh, a wind-up to an upcoming episode. They were all brilliantly done, action-packed, exciting, awesome storytelling. I mean, on and on and on. So don't miss it, guys. If you don't have AMC+, please tune in this Sunday and watch the finale of Fear the Walking Dead. If you have not been watching Fear of the Walking Dead for several seasons and you don't really want to start at season one or two or three, uh, the best place to start would be the beginning of season four. That's when we really get introduced to the bulk of the new characters that we have on uh, currently on Fear of the Walking Dead. That would be my advice. If you've never watched Fear of the Walking Dead and don't necessarily want to start at the beginning, uh, I would start at season four. But start from the beginning. You're you're not going to regret it. Go all the way up to this current season that's about to end, and you will absolutely fall in love with Fear of the Walking Dead. So let's see who's joined us. Brayden Novak has just joined us saying hello Hello, Braden. Thank you for joining us. Tina is also with us. Colette is joined us as well. Furla has joined us. Eden, John, Lulu. Welcome to all you guys. So that's what's coming up over the next week. Uh, Michael Satrazimus is going to be our guest on Father's Day, June 20th. So we have a lot of guests coming up. Over the next week, starting tomorrow, we're taking Sunday off, and then next week is going to be packed full of guests. So with that being said, we have not done any horror news. God, I can't even remember the last time we went over the latest horror news. Uh, So let's just get right to it. Let's talk about some of the latest horror news that is out there and uh, see what's going on in the horror world. So to start off with, let me go back to the beginning here. Yesterday was a brand new, this is not the beginning yet. Here we go. Yesterday was a brand new episode of Clarice. Uh, As you guys who watch me know, I'm just in love with uh, Clarice. Michael Cudlitz is awesome. Rebecca Breeds, who plays Clarice, is phenomenal. The entire cast. Uh, Marnie, who who plays Catherine. The entire cast is just brilliant. Jane Atkinson, who plays Ruth Martin. Yesterday was episode 11, and there's only going to be 13 episodes. So we only have two episodes left. And uh, this has not been, I would definitely not classify Clarice as a slow burn show. It has been gripping with each and every episode. So they're getting closer to uh, the truth behind who is behind uh, all these sinister murders and conspiracy. We actually find out it's somebody, of course, with a lot of power, a lot of money, and uh, a lot of influence over politicians in Washington, D.C. So yesterday's episode of Clarice was called Achilles' Heel. Agent Starling sees a face in the composite when Clarice Season Episode 11 exposes the Achilles heel. Now, Achilles heel could almost be called the quote-unquote I-told-you-so episode. After half a season of knocking down Agent Starling, brilliantly played by Rebecca Breeds, as a rogue unreliable dangerous or mentally unbalanced cop almost every character who got screen time this season gets to say their version of we should have listened to Clarice this bodes well for the investigation but also for the psyches of her closest acquaintances in the last episode yesterday's Clarice decided Catherine Martin, played by Marnie Carpenter, had to face some consequences consequences for her actions. The surviving victim of the serial killer Buffalo Bill took his mother hostage, not entirely intentionally, but functionally enough to warrant observation. Catherine's mother, the Attorney General, Ruth Martin, played by Jane Atkinson, is incensed over the idea her daughter is being victimized by the system, especially since she gave strict orders to the agent she forced to go rogue, and that would be, of course, Clarice. But the traumatized political tool Catherine is far happier in treatment with other people who get what she's going through internally. For those of you that have not been watching the show but have seen Silence of the Lambs, Catherine Martin is the girl in the movie that survived. It's the girl that Clary Starling saved uh, before Buffalo Bill had the chance to kill her. I'm glad they brought the character over onto the TV show. And the TV show takes place a year after the Silence of the Lambs events. And we see the extreme PTSD that Catherine Martin is going through. It is the first time in the season she's looked remotely happy, and as she gives all the credit to Agent Starling, we feel a tug of joy as it gets under her mother's skin. Julia Lawson, played by Jen Richards, earned her Nancy Drew decoding ring. Not that such a Bob Bobble was part of the Young Detective series, but the accountant knows the codes. Julia plays the undercover operative role to the hilt, even picking locks and finding last possible moment solutions to post-modern problems. She calls the VICAP team, that's the team under the FBI uh, that is back in the 90s still brand new, she calls the VICAP team with almost every quarterly hour update on the impending sale of Alistair Pharmaceuticals until they are on the verge of not taking her calls. As the executives go through the fine print of the final documents, Julia takes the long, dangerous elevator ride up to the R&D fifth floor to prevent the purging of incriminating evidence it feels like reverse stockholm syndrome and after a while much of the viewing audience is rooting for her to get caught i wasn't uh what she did was absolutely courageous uh and she went above and beyond uh, the fbi was telling her stay low you've done enough they're look. they're they're watching you. But she went up there anyways and she got the documents that they needed to pursue this case. I really thought that she was going to die and they were going to kill her. They took her, they caught her, they were escorting her out of the building uh, at gunpoint uh, just before Clarice and the VICAP team showed up just in time to save her life. Now, Agent Murray Clark, Nick Sandow, once again plays the unsung hero of the episode, bringing much-needed humor as he notes Julia's Herculean efforts to help the FBI. Quote, somebody help her. She's faxing the Gutenberg Bible one page at a time. He commands through a beeper, phone and tossed office supplies, Agents Esquivel, Luca de Oliveira, and Sean Tripathi, the awesome Cal Penn, get most of the cleanup work during the episode. This is a tough job, mostly because they are usually playing catch-up, and Starling doesn't always fill them in on all the details. I'll tell you when they're out of here, she says, even when it's not out loud. A standoff sequence is very effective because because it is averted just just as it is about to happen. It leads to a big payoff, but the reason it is able to deliver is because it conjures something similar to performance interruptus. Every cop, every security guard, and even the assassin who got through the VICAP security have their hands on their guns, and a guy in the suit cuts in just after the holster gets emptied. But while the chambers are still full, the episode opens with Clarice transposing the usual suspect's profile into one which fits a conspiracy, but most obvious perpetrator doesn't fit the composite. Clarice has been chasing a series of human monsters throughout her short career, but encounters a different breed of sociopath in Alistair's CEO, who we got to meet for the first time yesterday. Uh, the character's name is Nils, H- Nils Hagen, played by Peter McRobbie. She might have seen it coming if it were if it were the internet, internet age. CEO's top of the list of preferred jobs for psychopaths you know if you think about it that's kind of true it's probably hadn't been uh, collated at the time but Joe Hudland almost gets exonerated when he is revealed to be only one brushstroke on the artist's rendition of the face of the conspiracy to sum this up basically The CEO of this big, huge pharmaceutical company, it is revealed yesterday that he is the psychopath, narcissist that is behind the killings. And basically they have been killing women who have been involved in a a clinical trial that has had not so good side effects on the people in the trial to conceal that effect, which some of those effects include birth defects and whatnot. They have been killing the women who were about to turn whistleblower. Uh, Hagen is very curious about Clarice's relationship with his son Tyson, uh, played by Douglas Smith. The man who the man who started a pharmaceutical monolith is one tiny warehouse with one tiny warehouse has issues with women. but the problem might be because he has sorry, but the problem might be because he has dinner plans. This article is just written kind of really out of whack. He admires Kronos, the god who ate all of his sons um, uh, and the son remaining of course was Zeus. The uh, and Then they go into the Equal Opportun- Opportunity Employment Commission, in which uh, a map played by Devin Tyler, are uh, filing a complaint against the FBI for racial discrimination. So basically, it was a great episode. Uh, you got to watch it from the beginning to really follow what's been going on. Uh, The finale is just two weeks away, so if you haven't been watching Clarice, uh, it, it it got renewed for season two. It is currently on CBS. Season two of Clarice is going to go to Paramount Plus, which used to be known as CBS All Access. So that's definitely another one to check out. Clarice is just awesome. Now, Fear Street. We are going to be having a guest from the Netflix trilogy that is going to be debuting in early July. That's called Fear Street. Uh, I'm not yet ready to announce the guest, but we are going to be having a guest from the trilogy. This is a very highly anticipated trilogy that's coming out on Netflix next month. Now, Netflix is banking on Fear Ruling the Street this summer. The streaming service has unveiled the first trailer for Fear Street, a trilogy of films that will debut one week apart in July and which are based on the R.L. Stine series of novels. The trilogy takes place at three different time periods, 1994, 1978 and then it goes a little further back 1666 and kicks off with a group of teens in 1994 discovering that the terrifying events that have haunted their town for generations may be connected as filmmaking uh fear street but also just as a movie lover i was so excited to play homage To some of the great eras of horror movies, director Lee Janik said in a statement. For the 1994 one, Scream stood above all the rest. It's peak 90s horror and I think one of the most brilliant movies ever made, period. Uh, Then for the 1978, I got to look at the heyday of the slasher films. Friday the 13th Halloween Nightmare on Elm Street. Now for the 1666, I found the best inspiration for me lay in that beautiful world made rotten of Terence Malick's The New World. So let's go ahead and watch the trailer before continuing on. So here we go.
1: There was a time when things were good on shady side but now that's all gone oh man I know what wrong with the skeletons in hand yeah hello still alive who is this it's happening again. Tonight is Sunnyvale versus Shady Side. Red versus blue,
0: good versus evil. We Color we down the do oh, no, not I. Cause I will... Are you okay? That was
1: 1978.
0: 5937 days ago.
1: Shady Side, a history of horror has earned it the nickname, Killer Capital, USA. What's happening, These massacres happened in Shadyside over and over. You were the only person who survived. How do we end this? We have to go back to
0: where it all started.
1: 1666. The devil has come to feast on our misdeeds. If they want a witch. Witches, witches! I will curse this town. Forever. It's been three centuries. It stops here. It stops with
0: us. Who the hell was that? How should I know? She was hot! The bitch seemed normal. Amazing observation best chances to run from this place. And go, go, go! shady side,
1: we're all cursed. Ah! The devil is in me. Can you see fighting these things? Ah! Try not to die. Welcome to the suck. I will survive, I will survive, I will
0: survive. Come back from that motherfucker. Yeah. Now, that looks really good. You got to admit, that looks really good. And, I mean, how often do we get to see three different movies in a single trailer? Uh, so, July 2nd, 1994 is coming out. July 19th, 1978. And uh, July wait, July 9th is 1978. And July 16th is uh, the sixteen sixty six. I wonder why they picked 1666. You think it's because of the 666? Either way, that looks absolutely fascinating and looks very interesting. Now, Stein, best known for the kind, for the kid friendly Goosebump series, debuted the teen oriented Fear Street in 1989. The thing that ties Fear Street to people all over the world is that we all have the same fears, Stein said in a statement. It doesn't matter what country you're in, everyone is afraid of the dark or afraid of somebody lurking in the closet or afraid of being in some strange new place that they've never been before. We all have the same fears. In addition to the trailer, Netflix has unveiled new log lines for each of the films, uh, Fear Street Part 1, 1994, coming out July 2nd. That line is a circle of teenage friends accidentally encounter the ancient evil responsible for a series of brutal murders that have plagued their town for over 300 years. Welcome to Shady Side. For Part 2, 1978, July 9th, debut... Shady Side 1978. School's out for summer and the activities at Camp Nightwing are about to begin. But when another Shady Sider is possessed with the urge to kill, the fun in the sun becomes a gruesome fight for survival. And the final one, part 3, 1666, which comes out July 16th. That line is The origins of Sarah Fire's curse are finally revealed as history comes full circle on a night that changes the lives of Shady Siders forever. I mean, it's great. You're getting a trilogy of films. You don't have to wait three years, four years, five years to watch all three. You can watch them all in the same month. So, I like, that, I like that new concept that Netflix uh, is doing. And uh, like I said, this has been highly anticipated for a while now. And I think it's going to be one of the biggest hits over the summer. But we have to wait and see. Now, Night House, a horror film that, that breaks the rules of jump scares, gets a release date. So, before we read anything about this... It's called Night House. Uh, Let's just go ahead and watch this trailer. Nope, we're gonna mute the ad, and we're gonna patiently wait. There we go.
1: Oh hi Owen, so that is the husband. He took the boat out on the lake.
0: He took a, a
1: handgun that I didn't even know that we owned. In his note, he told me I was safe now. Safe from what? I don't know. I didn't think we had secrets. Everybody has secrets.
0: Stalker. They all look a little bit like me, but not quite. Stop it. Nothing you find is going to help you. I think he knew my husband. There's something you should know. What was he building?
1: It was our house, but backwards. He said he was afraid he couldn't hold it back. Hold what back?
0: That's very interesting. We got a little bit of uh, the paranormal in there. And uh, it looks like her husband was a psychopath. So, if you're after a horror film that doesn't hold back on the scares, look no further. Following its festival success at Sundance in January, The Night House was praised by critics for its chills and central performance from Rebecca Hall. She's she's just an amazing actress. The film, directed by David Bruckner, follows a widow who begins to uncover her recently deceased husband's disturbing secrets. Uh, Going by the reviews, the film is a horror movie of the mind and the heart, with David Elric saying that it breaks the rules of jump scares. According to IndieWire Critic, it features a jolt that seems to last for 15 seconds. Collider's Perry Mimeroff says uh, Bruckner told the audience ahead of the film's premiere, your reaction will come down to what you find most frightening, the idea that ghosts exist or the realization that they don't. Excitingly, the film has a UK uh, release date. It will be shown in cinemas from August 15th. When is it coming out here in the US? The Nighthouse also stars Sarah Goldberg, Evan Steven, uh Stacey Martin, and Vondi Curtis Hall. So I'll be looking out for that one as well. Colette and Lindsay both say it looks good, it looks cool, it looks very interesting and cool. So, let's keep moving on. Ah, here we go. Slow and Scary wins the race in defense of slow burn horror. Now, slow burn horror, for those of you that may not know because they seem to have a term for everything these days, is a movie in my opinion, the way movies should be done, taking their time in storytelling and character building, uh, in particular horror movies, to uh, a nice build-up and a reveal in the final, what, 15, 20, 30 minutes? But anyway, that's what slow-burn horror is. Now, sometimes slow-burn horror films are just what the doctor ordered because horror isn't just horror. There are many different subgenres in this multi- in this multifaceted type of film and I'm not talking just slasher, home invasion, found footage or body horror. Horror offers comedy, gore, action and social commentary, but it can also offer something else, a nice slow burn Creeps up on you, build up. I don't understand why every fan of Scary Stories doesn't love this kind of film. I am a part of many horror groups on social media, and I know from experience that many fans hate slow burn horror. I don't. I mean, they despise it. They don't even refer to it as slow burn. It's more commonly referred to as... Boring. Listen, I mean, these are horror fans. I'm not saying they're not, but they just want to see the kills, the blood. If you're into the supernatural, doors start slamming and closing disembodied voices right from the beginning instead of appreciating a good story being told. And often the same people who dislike slow burn horror will post repeatedly begging for film recommendations that will really scare them because nothing does. While I can't say that I have loved every horror film I have watched in my lifetime, I do love some films in every sub-genre, and I have a special fondness for a slow and steady burn. Now, I'm sorry, but I really don't hope they... I really hope that they don't create a horror subgenre that is just called slow burn. To me that would be ridiculous. Uh, It goes on to say, when it's done right, a slow burn film gets under my skin and fills me with dread. As an example of the type of film I'm referring to, let's talk about a dark little flick called The Witch. Very popular film. It's a love-it-or-hate-it type of movie, without a doubt, and I am firmly in the love-it camp. The first time I saw it, I was on the edge of my seat for the entire 93-minute running time, feeling more and more uneasy throughout. It's a very different sort of movie, filmed in black and white and using only natural light and candles. It's set in the 1600s, and the dialogue is early modern English, making it sometimes difficult to understand. But the story of William and Catherine and their children, Thomason, Caleb, Mercy, Jonas, and baby Samuel, is tense and compelling. When the family is banished from the Puritan colony, they set up a house in the woods and their lives unravel. I found myself caught up in the story right away, wondering if Thomason was really a witch, feeling Catherine's anguish at the sudden shocking loss of her child, uneasy every time Black Philip the Goat was on the screen. There is nothing wrong with a good old-fashioned slasher flick loaded with shallow characters that will be sliced into bloody bits by the end of the film but really there is nothing scary about that and i gotta totally agree the creeping dread that the witch brought upon me is far outweighed the giggly campy horror of the nightmare on elm street sequels for instance i'm firmly totally on board with this guy that does not mean I don't appreciate the Freddy franchise. I saw the original uh, Nightmare on Elm Street on opening night in a theater and loved it. In fact, I generally found the first film to be scary, but the sequels did not thrill me. I may watch them for fun, but I don't turn to them when, when I'm in the mood for something that will give me goosebumps. Slow burn horror films are the stuff nightmares are made of. Session 9 is another great film. Slow building filmed at the Danvers State Asylum in Massachusetts. It tells a story of a group of men hired to clean up asbestos from a crumbling mental hospital. Oh yeah, I remember that one. That That was really good. Slowly, each man starts to experience strange things, including discovering recorded psychiatric sessions with a patient who exhibits multiple personalities. During the ninth session, an extremely disturbing personality named Simon brings our story to a horrifying and hair-raising finale. Session nine is filled with creeping suspense and great acting performances by David Caruso, Larry Fezzedin, Fess- and Paul Golfile. Golf, go- a few other slow burn horror films I would recommend are Hereditary, another hugely popular film, featuring fantastic performances by Toni Collette, and a final third act that left me stunned and shaken. The Innkeepers, another great film. Sarah Paxton was one of our guests. She was the star of The Innkeepers. Other movies include It Follows uh, and Shudder exclusive The Dark and The Wicked, whose star Michael Abbott Jr. was also another guest of ours. Uh, The Dark and The Wicked and Host, I would put as the top two horror films of 2020. And I know a lot of other lists I've done the... The same for those two. I know that there are uh, true horror fans out there who cannot understand how some of us can love these slow-moving films, but I really enjoy the mystery of film that keeps me guessing. I don't want all the answers just handed to me quickly. I don't even necessarily want all of the answers anyway. The Dark and the Wicked never completely gave away the whys and the wherefores, and I loved that. So if you're looking for a horror film to watch while hanging out with your best buddies, by all means, check out the Mortuary Collection, a fun, gory offering on Shudder, or enjoy the gorgeously filmed, creepy, clever storytelling of Trick or Treat. But if you really want to be frightened and or disturbed, give a slow burn horror flick a fair shot. And what he's referring to as slow burn horror flicks, they are becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, Because filmmakers, I mean, yeah, there is just, there's still a demand for... Horror movies like this guy explained it shallow characters ended up getting, you know, they get they end up getting chopped up to bits by the middle of the movie, by the end of the movie, doesn't matter. But I think more and more horror fans are finding themselves appreciating a good story with rich character uh, building that leads to an awesome uh, ending and a movie that just comes straight to mind is the recent Saint Maud which is available now on Hulu and Amazon Prime by the way for a while there it was only available on Epix so if you like those kind of movies I would also definitely recommend that you watch Saint Maud like I said it is available on Hulu and Amazon Prime I uh, want to welcome Zachary Thomas-John uh, to the show. Andrew Valentine has joined us. Hey, Andrew. Thank you for joining us. It's good to have you with us on the show. We have got a call. Oh, no, it's Summer. Hey, Hello, Summer. Hello, love. Hey, Summer. How you doing? I'm doing
1: wonderful. How are you?
0: I didn't say anything bad about Rishon. I'm not in trouble, am I?
1: Oh, no, of course not. I just called to, first off, to say hello and say hello to everyone out there. But I also want to talk about the slow burn that you're talking about. Oh. And I'm going to say that I am a fan of the slow burn. If I had to, you know, horror is not really my thing, but I do like a good slow burn.
0: I I have no doubt. I No doubt. Yeah. I mean I mean. Yeah. It just, you you like the character building and uh, instead of just these shallow characters with their cliches and they end up just getting hacked up and they're not really missed when they get hacked up.
1: Right, right. But you know what? And I I want you to um, answer this question for me. Do you think the movie Amityville Horror was a slow burn?
0: Ooh, that's a tough question. Uh, no, no, because no, no, I would, I would say no, because not because of the lack of character building, but because Mm -hmm. the, the scariness of the movie pretty much starts right away. Okay. Not because of a lack of character building. It had plenty of character building, but the, the scary moments, uh, they just start pretty soon after the movie starts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to watch it again. I just remember going to the movies. I've seen it at the movies four times. And most of the time I had my eyes closed, my hands over my eyes. But I just remember that the dad in the movie just kept getting darker and darker yeah. as the movie progressed.
0: He was being possessed. He was being possessed. Yeah, Because he looked exactly um. like uh, in the movie and actually in real life as well and they did this on purpose in the movie the um the 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 people that bought the house the dad looked identical to Ronnie DeFeo which was the guy who murdered his family a year before the Lutz family moved into that house
1: wow
0: yeah and they, they Ooh, we're just talking about it <laughs> I, I i'm with you on the amityville ho- horror because for me as a kid growing up what scared me was those red beady eyes yeah yeah that literally gave me nightmares yeah. it scared the crap out of me so how you doing summer but i'm doing great you know
1: school's out and even though I'm working this summer, it's cool because it's not school with them kids. So I'm doing pretty good. I cannot complain. And I'm so happy to hear your voice and just to be on the show and be able to call in. So I'm so excited. And you're doing a wonderful job. I want to say I love you. I love the team. And I keep doing amazing things, This
0: You want to come back and co-host with me one night? Yeah, of course. All right, then of it's a date. Course. I want you to come back and co host with me one night. All right. All right.
1: I'm looking it. All yeah. right. Well, I'll talk to you later.
0: Yeah. All right. Talk to you later, Summer. Thank you for calling. Right. Bye bye.
1: You're welcome.
0: There you go. That's Summer. Always good to hear from Summer. Uh, so, in the little bit of time that we have left tonight, uh, let's go to our topic. Okay. And. Uh, this is not an entirely new topic. Uh, we've discussed it before. But we're going to go into a different way with this one. And that's basically zombies. Of course, zombies, hugely popular. Uh, as I enjoy zombie movies very, very much. Uh, I have a lot of friends and family who would put zombie movies as their favorite subgenre in the horror. For me, it's not. Uh, but I very immensely love watching zombie movies. Uh, And what I love the most about zombie movies is I love watching the zombie apocalypse when it breaks out. Uh, We have seen it so many times in different movies, World War Z, just to name one, when it just happens so quickly and civilization falls apart So quickly. And then you see everybody out for themselves. Um, Just some really, really scary stuff. So, uh, let's talk about some of the zombie movies that have been released. And they have been going on for a lot longer than some of you might think. Uh, White Zombie, 1932. Uh, White Zombie is widely considered the first Feature-length zombie film. The movie stars horror icon Bella Lugosi as a white Haitian voodoo master creating zombies. Zombies actually do have the real a real origin in Haitian folklore. Now, of course, moving on to George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. George Romero is the granddad of all modern-day zombie films. The film that made zombies a cultural phenomenon before The Walking Dead existed, and make no mistake about it, uh, I don't think there would be a Walking Dead if it wasn't for George Romero's uh, dead movies. Uh, Night of the Living Dead uh, was... uh, It was considered by co-writer John Russo as the first zombie film to feature flesh-eating zombies. Uh, Though, because the word zombie isn't used in the film, they're referred to as ghouls. And that's something we've also talked about in the past. Uh, There are some movies, like World War Z, where the term zombie is very much used. But in other zombie movie universes like The Walking Dead, uh, Night of the Living Dead, it's just that the word zombie does not exist, and that's why it's not used. Now, 28 Days Later, love that film, it really introduced us to the rage zombie, the zombies that can run and can be all over you in a split second. Uh, The this film took a gritty indie film and looked at how the zombie apocalypse b- could break out. It was uh, written on the screen for by Alex Garland, developed the film after having an idea that zombies, what would it be like if zombies could run? Up until that point, zombies were just slow, snail-moving creatures. And for me, it took the idea of uh, making zombies actually run, uh, you know, create human totem poles, come crashing over walls, like we saw again in World War Z, and took it to a whole new terrifying level. Uh, he took that concept uh, of the film with uh, the producer, Andrew McDonald, who loved the idea. He took a very real-world approach to the zombie origins, having it be the result of a virus that spread into a pandemic, something that is particularly timely for what the world has gone through, especially now in the last year and a half. The zombies and the film were heavily inspired, again, by George Romero. Dawn of the Dead, the remake, all right? We're not talking about the original, the remake, the 2004 Dawn of the Dead, which is a really good remake. Uh, probably the best remake of uh, George Romero's original Dead movies. Zack Snyder pulls off an impossible task by making, a, like I said, a pretty damn good remake, continued the concept of running zombies evolving them from the original George Romero film. The zombies in the film are representative, uh, heard in a collective mentality, a theme carried over from the original film. There is no established origin in the film as to where uh, the virus might have come from. If you guys remember A Night of the Living Dead, when they were watching uh, that television, and they were watching those news uh, people, they were spreading all sorts of reports that this breakout might have been the result of a passing comet that did a flyby near the Earth, and that could be possibly where this virus might have come from. Now, also, Shaun of the Dead, you know, uh, comic lighthearted I would not really call it a f- full-blown comedy, but a very light-hearted zombie for lack of a better term. Um, you know, it's a great movie, and it's become a cult classic, and it's definitely earned its place among some of the great zombie movies out there. Just uh, the sheer fact, when the world is falling apart, a group of survivors... They want to go to their local pub because that's where they feel safest. Just that theme alone is absolutely hysterical. Uh, The film does pay homage to the origin of the zombies from the original Night of the Living Dead. Through a radio broadcast heard briefly in the film, you can hear about an object falling from space before the later reports of the dead coming back to life. I'm just keeping an eye on the time, which we don't have much of. Let's just go through the rest of this list. Zombieland, another lighthearted horror, you know, uh, zombie movie. Maggie, this is an underrated film with a great and heartbreaking performance by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Maggie was really a good movie. Uh, Overlord, uh, The Dead Don't Die. Army of the Dead. Now, that's pretty recent. Uh, If you guys want to check it out on uh, Netflix, it's another zombie effort from director Zack Snyder. So there you guys have it. A mixture of uh, lighthearted zombie movies, serious zombie movies going to the George Romero days, and then, of course, you know, running zombies as opposed to snail crawling zombies which terrifies you the most For me I would if I was gonna be in a zombie apocalypse I would want it no other way but to have the slow crawlers because if you have over a dozen running zombies coming up your ass that's it you're done well you're done you're done. there's no way to there's no way to survive that. Anyway guys we are out of time for tonight. thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, please tune in tomorrow with our special guests, Rob Mello and Rebecca Reinhardt. Uh, it's gonna be a treat. We have a slate full of guests all next week. Check us out, and you'll see who is upcoming if you missed the beginning of our show. So stay safe, and until tomorrow night, guys, remember always stay walking. Good night.